Hello and welcome to this At Any Rate podcast. I'm Arindam Sandalia from the JP Morgan's FX strategy team. I have with me my colleagues Meera Chandan and Ben Shatil to discuss this week in currency markets. So huge moves in FX over the past week. The trade-weighted dollar has fallen more than 2% over the past five days, which is one of the largest five-day declines in the history of the index. Now, following on from the near Goldilocks payrolls report last week to this week's inline CPI print, that's virtually assured that the Fed steps down to a 25 basis point pace of rate hikes in February. And markets can probably now see a Fed pause within touching distance, but it's not just the US side of things that's at play. The euro has continued to make new highs as the market reduces, if not prices out, the long-assumed recession in the euro area amid a lot of relief on the gas price front. Dollar-yen broke sharply below 130 this week amid further speculation that BOJ uh, could uh, do away with YCC altogether in the not-too-distant future. And uh, dollar CNY in this part of the world also broke convincingly below 680. It's tested 670 as well as a part of this uh, big China reopening wave, staking the rest of Asian FX and large parts of EM with it. So plenty to discuss. Uh, ben and Mira, welcome to this podcast. Uh, Mira, let me start with you. Uh, and I'm looking at your revised EURUSD forecast profile in today's key currency news publication. You've made an enormous change from the mid-23 target of 0.95 as laid out in the year-ahead uh, annual outlook late last year to 110 in the latest publication. And uh, the year-end has gone from 100 to 108. You know, what is this? Is it, is, it, is it fair to say that this represents some sort of capitulation on your bearish year view from the outlook? Thanks, Sarandam. Yes, it's a very, um, very punchy revision indeed. Um, I think the short answer to your question on whether this is capitulation, look, this is, um, you know, on the face of it, if you look at the forecasts themselves, which, you know, which represent a point estimate, um, the short answer is yes, um, it does look like a capitulation. But if you look at the subtext and sort of the balance of risks that we've been pointing out, over the course of the past uh, two, two and a half months, it's basically an evolution of a view to recognize and a recognition that the balance of risks um, that had made us concerned about the euro a couple of months ago have just not materialized in the way that we had expected. And some of these balance of risks are in relation to things that are outside of the region uh, per se and, and sort of very exogenous to financial markets. Um, so one of the reasons, uh, you know, when we laid out our bearish euro call and we, we basically noted that um, the lows uh, of uh, near 95 on euro dollar from 2022 will be retested, um, the, the, the underlying motivation for that was, uh, was basically that um, a Fed pause by itself is not going to be enough for a euro rebound. You know, we were actually quite, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, highly convicted of the view that several low yielders would sort of outperform versus the dollar on policy convergence in U.S. recession risks. Uh, and, you know, and, and Ben Shadil will talk about the yen later on in this call. That was certainly one of our highest conviction views. Uh, I think on the euro, we were making the point that it's a very different animal from the yen because the currency typically tends to be driven by growth. And, um, and a Fed pause by itself would not really provide uh, the sufficient condition for a rebound. What we really needed was a rebound in growth itself. And at that time, the growth vulnerabilities and question marks were quite numerous at the time. Uh, so if you looked at, for example, you know, the number one issue for Europe, which continues to be the case, by the way, is the energy dependence vulnerabilities and, and geopolitics in the region. Uh, you know, the key issue uh, back in November when we wrote the outlook was that the peak winter months for gas consumption hadn't really been hit yet. Um, at the same time, it looked like the China reopening would be uh, not really 
um, you know, happened, wasn't, wasn't imminent. Uh, U.S. recession risk was certainly growing and the Kyrie in Europe was highly negative versus a dollar. So all of these factors sort of lent us having the balance of risks being more towards malaise um, rather than the recovery in the euro. Now, the fly in the ointment, even when we wrote that, uh, you know, that year ahead outlook was the improvement in regional growth momentum that had just started in November. And, um, and uh, you know, we were, we were sort of concerned about that turn. And therefore, you know, if you look at our tactical trade recommendations, for example, we had already started to sort of reduce um, the overall delta exposure to euro dollar um, uh, exposure outright. So, you know, now if you stand here and you say, well, let's look at all of those pillars of, of, a, of a bearish euro um, narrative, actually, we have more information in hand now. Um, you know, for example, uh, we've, we continue to, in Europe, have the warmest weather on record. Uh, as a result, the gas storage levels are actually quite high. Uh, positive growth momentum in the region has become more firmly entrenched as a result of this. You know, we're seeing more beats on the PMIs. Um, you know, our economists are have already upgraded their European growth forecast. They're looking for more, uh, you know, they're, they're pointing to more upside risks around this. And, um, and as a result, ECB has been able to reprice higher. So you're also putting sort of the rate differential story, um, you know, sort of back in play uh, in favor of the euro. And that potent combination of growth plus rates, I think, is really a game changer for the underlying um, scheme. So yes, absolutely. The bottom line is um, the underlying euro dollar regime, I think, has shifted. The uncertainties and the risks that we were concerned about have sort of, at least um, cyclically speaking, short-term speaking, have alleviated. And we're open-minded, definitely more open-minded and sort of expecting that this growth momentum is going to be the main narrative in the near term. And so euro dollar, as you said, you know, our forecast is 110. It's pretty mild compared to where we are right now, but it's sort of sending the impression and, and sort of, I hope, sending the message that, you know, we think we're in a different regime for euro. Now, if I take a step back and say, are we euro bulls? Not really. Uh, you know, this is, I think, the key issue here is this is, this is, and I really want to stress this point, it is motivated by cyclical concerns. There's just a recognition that there are longer term vulnerabilities that haven't gone away. Uh, energy dependence continues to be an issue. Geopolitics continues to be an issue. Uh, U.S. recession risks are still simmering in the background. Um, and then, of course, um, you know, you also have a possibility that the Fed might have to hike a little bit more than expected. But so long as this energy, uh, sorry, this, so long as this, um, you know, growth momentum sort of continues to stay positive, I think we're in a different sort of a regime for euro. So uh, definitely neutralizing um, the bearish uh, sort of uh, view that we had outlined and uh, recognizing here that we're in a, we, we have undergone a bit of a regime shift um, on the euro. So, so now as a quick follow-up to that, uh, given the euro's uh, stature as a bellwether dollar pair, is it fair to say that our dollar view has turned as well? Last year, of course, we were uh, quite insistent on a, on a long dollar stance, and that was reflected in our year-ahead outlook as well. Um, are we now calling ourselves bearish on the dollar? Look, I mean, just like the narrative around uh, and the underlying backdrop for, under the, for euro has shifted, I think for the dollar as well, we've been pointing out um, since November and even in the outlook that um, the underlying... Uh, the key concern was really the pickup in growth momentum in Europe and China, which has just become a lot more entrenched. So, what you know, our main theme in um, in the year ahead outlook was late cycle. Um, that was the top tradable theme uh, that we had, and I think there's a recognition here that um, that transition from a relief on Fed pause 
to the late cycle dynamics we thought would be quite abrupt. Uh, we think the late cycle dynamics will still eventually come into play with, uh, with the U.S. recession risks. But there's just a recognition that this period of relief in markets could actually be longer than expected. So, uh, yeah, I think we've, uh, you know, as we've been pointing out uh, in our uh, weekly publications in the past month, uh, you know, turning uh, certainly have turned uh, neutral on the dollar from that point of view as well. Um, and and the top tradable theme, I would say, is really more regional rotation, which is uh, which is really you know U.S. Um, U.S. weakening relative to the rest of the world. Uh, that's that's the theme that we have the most confidence in at the moment. And the kind of uh, the kind of themes that you know kind of um, uh, recommendation that uh, recommendations that that uh, that leads to is is things like being short U.S. growth proxies like the Canadian dollar. Uh, you know, short uh, and underweight uh, sort of some uh, euro block uh, vulnerable uh, uh, candidates like Sterling and Sweden. And then I would say, um, you know, China reopening Aussie continues to be a favorite from a fundamental bottom up standpoint as well. And on the on the dollar uh, index, the if you think about the uh, big constituents bottom up, we already spoke about the euro. And if we can come to you on the end for a minute, you know, whether you have uh, any uh, doubts, misgivings about uh, forecast shifts, valuations, levels uh, on other dollar pairs or not, at least one place where we have been consistently negative on the dollar since the ahead outlook is dollar yen um, and what moves we've had since then in markets. So given that there's this uh, you know, BOJ, YCC narrative out there in the market, just want to get your uh, sense of uh, the likelihood of something like this happening in the near term. Can we see this next week at the BOJ? And then how far do you think uh, an exit from uh, NERP, if at all, is, uh, is, is, is it on the table or not? Okay, thanks. Thanks, Ari. Um, well, look, I, th I think y y you know as well as I do that we've been in the sort of the hawkish um, camp with regards to BOJ. We were probably one of, if not the most hawkish on the street, and even that proved not to be hawkish in, you know, enough in the sense that we got a, a sort of a surprise move in December. Um, look, I think the bottom line here is I think the the bar for BOJ to surprise on the dovish side, in other words, for Corroda to, to really be able to push through a, a sort of a dovish message next week is, is very high at this point. Um, so there are a couple of ways of thinking about this. The first is if I look at the Japanese flow data out of foreign bonds and back into JGBs, those flows, we can model out a sort of equilibrium 10-year JGB rate. That's setting that's sitting at somewhere like 120, 130 basis points. So the you know the cash 10-year yield is trading at you know the ceiling just above 50 basis points. So if we did get a complete removal of YCC next week, what that implies is the 10-year could spike very quickly, you know, all the way up to 1.2, 1 1.3%. Um, I think the implication there though is that you know clearly the BOJ still has a way to go. Um, and that without YCC uh, being removed, we're going to see this persistent sort of testing of the of the upper bound. So, you know, what does that mean for dollar yen and what does that mean for BOJ next week? Well, look, I think there are a range of outcomes that get dollar yen lower, not just into BOJ, but, but you know, over the medium term. So the most obvious and, I guess, dramatic of those is, is a complete removal of YCC. That's not our baseline view. I mean, I'd attach something like 10% probability of that for next week. But if we think about the risk into the second half, certainly of the year, um, and I would say potentially even earlier than that, I think that that likelihood is 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 you know materially higher. Um, 
in the near term, what else could we get? So I think the first one next week is we very likely get a revision higher of the core CPI forecast from the BOJ. Currently, those are at 1.6%. I think if we get something closer to 2%, the 2% target, that should be taken as a hawkish signal. That's that's bullish the yen. Um, the second is a possible change to the forward guidance. Again, bullish yen. And the third is you know further sort of um, explanation or further insight into this idea of a policy review. That's something that's being floated in the Japanese press this week. And again, I, you know, I'd see that as a, a bullish outcome for the yen. So I think bottom line here, um, you know, our house view is not for YCC to be removed next week, but I think it is coming. Um, even if we don't get a removal, I still think there are you know a, a fair few uh, sort of outcomes that are bullish on the yen. And then your, your sort of final question on what is the probability of exiting negative rates next week, I'd say the probability of that is close to zero, if not zero. And the reason for that is, look, there's a, a sequence of events that needs to happen here. The first we've already had, the widening of the YCC band. The second in my mind is a complete removal of YCC. And only then can we start to see an exit from, from negative rates. And, and the reason for that is because we need to have some sort of steepness in the yield curve and we can't achieve, you know, before the BOJ hikes, we can't achieve that until YCC is, is removed. Okay, very clear. So where does that leave you in terms of targets on dollar yen then? Um, clearly hearing your bias on BOJ, it's fairly clear that uh, you're minded towards more yen strength, but at the same time, it's a fairly consensus trade. Uh, dollar yen is undershooting rate differentials, et cetera. Um, where do you see dollar yen going from here? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a few factors in play, right? So that the first is the BOJ. Um, the second is what's happening in terms of the downshift in, in US inflation and, and what that means for the, you know, the yield spread between the US and Japan. And then the third is the sort of idiosyncratic stuff, the Japanese flows. And we're seeing very large lifer inflows back to Japan. I think those are a function of the fact that domestic investors think yields can, can you know, can, can get higher and they want to be prepared. Um, as and when yields do go higher. So we're seeing very large, I'd say, flows into Japan and those are supporting the yen. What does that mean for the forecast? Well, you know, as, as you mentioned right up front, we've been yen bulls now for the best part of, I guess, two, three months. Um, we're marking down our dollar yen forecast, so lower dollar yen into the sort of mid to high 120s. I would say that that, in my mind, you know, the risk around that profile is probably still lower um, if, if, if and when we do get a, another move from the BOJ. Um, so I would say, you know, the bias here is very much to remain long the yen, um, to look for further yen resilience. And I think that the BOJ sort of, you know, exacerbates that, but it's not the only story in terms of informing our, our sort of, um, you know, favorable outcome for how JPY performs over the next few months. So Arundam, if we can um, step in here and uh, focus, uh, turn our attention to China, you know, what is what is your thought on CNY? Obviously, the China reopening has been a massive event um, and we are having meetings uh, in uh, in the euro as well. What, what are the implications for CNY going forward? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, CNY has obviously uh, been a part of this huge China reopening wave. Uh, my first thought is that uh, CNY effects is probably not your first port of call when it comes to playing reopening clearly. 
closer to China, growth-linked assets like China stocks are much better expressions of this phenomenon. But having said that, we've seen dollar CNY have a big move lower. Some of that is dollar beta, but not entirely. The CNY basket has moved north of 100 as well, has had a very punchy reversal since the back half of last year. It's trading above uh, 100.5 or, or thereabouts now. You know, We feel like this can run in the short term, exactly as you were describing with the euro. Uh, but there are a few things to keep in mind. First is that the broad rally in channel-linked assets is front-running the improvement of uh, economic data on the ground. Uh, it's completely normal for uh, financial markets to, to front-run the, the real economy. Uh, but the uh, extent of the disconnect matters in terms of benchmarking, how advanced we are in that process. And uh, we've recently published on this. You know, this process is not in its infancy anymore. Uh, but can this run for the next uh, two to three months? You know, quite possibly. For CNY FX in particular, when we benchmark how far the currency has come relative to a, a whole host of uh, cyclical and, and balance of payment type models that we look at, uh, it paints a, a mixed picture on some of these frameworks. Uh, dollar CNY is undershooting quite dramatically, like rate differentials and some others not so. So unless at least you get uh, sort of a uniform read from, from these models, it's hard to say that dollar CNY has exhausted the entire available room uh, to the downside. Uh, but uh, in a slightly more medium term, we are uh, a little concerned about the arithmetic of China's balance of payments this year. And a large part of those concerns are centered around the uh, quite uh, sharp reduction in China's current account surplus. Our economists have penciled in um, something like a $250 billion reduction in China's current account buffers this year. Some of that is going to come from higher imports, some of that is going to come from uh, higher outbound tourism. But that $250 billion negative delta on the current account needs to be uh, made up somehow through portfolio flows. And we've run some sensitivity analysis on how much of that hole can be filled in by things like equity flows and bond flows and so on. And our sense is that uh, in our baseline, um, the overall DOP will be somewhat negative. Even if you stress test some of these portfolio flows, account for uh, animal spirits and push them to, uh, to more optimistic levels, the DOP surplus that you come up with is still relatively small. So it doesn't look like there is enough balance of payments ammunition here over the course of the entire year to power CNY on a basket basis in particular. Uh, you know, sharply higher. So our strategic stance is, you know, we are not going to stand in the way of the ongoing rally, but uh, as and when we get uh, slightly better levels on the CNY basket, look to um, you know have a, a, a bearish or a, or a downbeat view on the on the basket. So with that, uh, we come to the end of this edition of the podcast. Thanks very much for listening in. Uh, this communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures, 2023 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on January 13th, 2023.